0: Just over a year ago, life was very different, wasn't it? Pre-pandemic. Before we were worried about vaccines, and before we were worried about borders being closed and when they would reopen. Before we were worried about the terrible toll that the pandemic has taken on our society, and before we were worried about masks and the controversies surrounding them. Life was very different pre-pandemic now one of the things that i miss most from those days is the ability to travel is the ability to get on a plane go to another and maybe a place that i've never been before and have fresh experiences i really am feeling the the loss of that these days so today i think that we're going to cover on gray matter i don't think i know on gray matters We are going to take on a topic which flies in the face of the pandemic. It's definitely what life was like pre-pandemic and hopefully what we can look forward to post-pandemic. Digital nomad, becoming a digital nomad. I'm gonna have interviews with two of my friends who pre-pandemic had very different experiences as they took on the mantle of becoming a digital nomad, traveling about, still doing their work, but exploring new places, having new experiences while they still maintained their work life and they still remained productive, they still generated income. It is a it is a wonderful concept. It's one that makes me, it, it, it's, it excites me in a, probably more now than ever before. Now, it might be a while before in our lives, but darn it, it is sure something that we can look forward to. So today on Gray Matters, Becoming a Digital Nomad. Steve Dotto here. How the heck are you doing this fine day? Welcome to Gray Matters, the podcast for baby boomers and Gen X who are interested in online business. We are interested in finding our place in the digital age. In this podcast, you'll learn about online marketing community building, social networking, and more, all from our perspective. The world's changing, our prospects are changing, the job market is not interested in us anymore, and many of us face a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need to take our years of experience and put it to work for us, a side hustle or online business of our own. We need to develop mad skills to adapt and evolve in order to thrive in this digital age. I can help, I want to help, and this podcast will help. It wasn't that long ago that I was struggling to transition from my former career in traditional broadcasting into online business. There were lots of bumps and bruises along the way, but I'm here to say it is a fantastic and worthwhile journey. I am glad you found us. So, Rachel, here we are again. But the, what the audience doesn't know, what the what the average listener doesn't know, is this is part D. <laughs> This is our second <laughs> take at this. Why do we have to record? Uh, why Why is it part do?
1: Um, well, because uh, the great and powerful Oz is actually just a person behind a curtain. And guess what? Sometimes that technology just bites you right in the butt.
0: Yeah, well, it, it was user error. We recorded this on Saturday morning, and I managed to mess up the uh, the file. And uh, so we are recording it again now Monday evening
1: for, You know, for
0: Wednesday's broadcast.
1: I think you, I think it's good. I mean, gosh, everybody needs to know that we're all human and, you know, it's like,
2: Hey, it's a humbling,
0: it's a humbling experience for me, but it's also it, 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 now I know what system I want to use, uh, in order to assure that this doesn't happen again. So I, I won't bore everybody with the details, but I managed to corrupt our audio files by not uh, by by poor file management on my part. So we're gonna
1: not our fault though. We are purer than the driven snow. It was no, it's the not co- your files fault. Files that were corrupted. It's not yes. your fault.
0: It's my, <laughs> definitely my fault. So let's 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 again dive into the stories of the week uh, and try and make it sound fresh and like we haven't we haven't heard them before, <laughs> fresh and appealing, as we do take two. So what, what's your, what is your top story this week again?
1: Well, so I uh, I did get to try out Twitter Spaces. So oh, yeah. that is the Twitter alternative to Clubhouse. And as an Android user, as we've discussed, I am not able to get in Clubhouse at this time. But uh, Twitter has let Android users be able to uh, enter a Twitter space. And I actually got to talk at it. So uh, I liked it. And the, the, um, the story I actually found this week was that Uh, They're looking at adding a tipping the host feature to Twitter spaces where you could actually, as a host of a Twitter space, monetize yourself and say, hey, I'm going to make tips. I'm sure it's going to be a little bit like super chat, like. Maybe you could like you know just like you could do an emoji or on Reddit you can like give badges that are worth actual coins and stuff. But I'm thinking that's probably what they're gonna do. And I was gonna ask you, does Clubhouse yet have anything like that?
0: Not that I know of. They don't think they have any any payment systems yet. They have not. Uh, they, they have not rolled that out. Let me ask you about the how Twitter Spaces works though. So if now. Do you have to download a separate app? Is it, or is it right within your, if you're using the Twitter app, the native Twitter app, can you find Twitter spaces then?
1: Yeah. So basically, and it's on mobile only, I cannot, I haven't seen it on desktop and I assume that's, that is, it is a mobile only thing in app feature, but just like you would see the little circles of people along the top of your screen on many apps where those are the stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um if there's a Twitter space going on, you're going to see uh, like one person, the person who's a host. And then it's almost like, then there's another person that's next to them. And there is like a purple field between the two. So that connects the two dots and, um, you can click on that. And also you can tell too, I guess that people who are uh Twitter space hosts get a purple dot next to their Twitter handle on Twitter which is nice. I don't have one yet, but I'm hoping to, but basically I just clicked on a space, Madeline Sklar. She, um, does the Twitter smarter hashtag chat on Twitter and she's mm-hmm. done some stuff for social media examiner, but, uh, I clicked on it and got in. And so basically you see all the dots, all the little bobbleheads of everybody who's in there. Um, and then under each one, you can see if they are a speaker or a listener. And I was a listener coming in, one of the options i have is that i can say click on a microphone and say i would like to speak and so it cues the host that hey i'd be interested in speaking and after a little bit madeline allowed me to be to, me to be a speaker um there were 10 other 10 10 total speakers of us so it was a little hard because it felt like you know we're all trying to talk at the same time sometimes but uh but yeah it worked pretty well you can you know you can tap a couple emojis to like emote even if you're not a speaker and uh one really cool thing I saw in there um is that they allow closed captioning so they have a mm-hmm. feature in there where you can turn that on so say if you are hard of hearing and you go into a Twitter space and if you turn closed captioning on you can actually still see what people are saying even if you can't hear them
0: and it's using a, mach- a machine uh closed captioning mm-hmm. it's not it's obviously it's uh, it's using technology to do it then
1: yeah exactly and they had a thing in there too where You can turn on that you want to see closed captioning, but each individual user in the Twitter space would have to turn on that they want to be closed captioned in order for you to see what they're saying.
0: So this, so Twitter spaces, I'm just looking at my Twitter account right now and I've got uh, along the top, I've got, I actually follow Madeline as well. And I, and uh, I see you up there. So, but if anybody was doing a Twitter spaces broadcast at this point that I follow, they would appear in that top deck. In that top Yes,
1: yeah. and I I want to say I believe they kind of prioritize it. So anyone you're following who is in or hosting a Twitter space would appear first. Like it'd be one of the the um one of the f- few bobbleheads or you know the the couplings, if you will, the purple coupling. It, it's very distinctive purple amidst yeah. all the blue.
3: On so Twitter,
0: I'll, t- I'll have to just keep an eye open for that because nobody that I see now is doing that. And I, I only see three people up there right now. You, Madeline, Maya Voss, and Social Media Examiner. And nobody's obviously doing the Twitter space of those people that I'm following. So... Mm-hmm. It appears not to be there yet for me.
1: Yeah. If you keep an eye, I think Madeline's been doing it after her Twitter smarter chat on Thursdays. So just keep an eye out. But yeah, I I just happened to hop in and uh, it was cool and I I liked it.
0: So, so, so point of order with the Twitter, with Twitter spaces, are you able to, uh, to uh, ask questions or uh, are you only able to do broadcast if you're invited to speak? Is there a chat forum that's attached or are you, are you tweeting in parallel?
1: So I'm glad you brought that up. I actually had to tweet in parallel. There is not an in feature chat app. So uh, Madeline actually Mm. referenced at one point via voice in the space that she said, yeah. And I I sent out, I tweeted out a link for how to apply to become a Twitter space host. And I tweeted to her saying, hey, where's that link again? And she tweeted back to me while she's hosting. And so it, it happened outside of the actual. Now, one thing I will say, I liked that and I is that you can be in the space, but I can, I can kind of back out of the space and it still is going and I can still hear it going while I peruse through the Twitter app. So Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't cut the audio off if you happen to kind of just browse away within the app from the Twitter space. So that was really cool.
0: So you can multitask to a certain extent, like, like listening to a podcast, you can be scrolling through other things on your phone while you're in the Twitter space, you can be doing other things on your phone and you're not going to lose the broadcast.
1: Yeah, that was cool. So I, I was pretty impressed uh, thus far, I got to say. And I was like, man, if this is how Clubhouse is, I kind of get the draw.
0: I do. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, my top story is something totally out of left field as far as uh, I, I think, as far as that goes. Have you ever heard of Cameo? I have not. Do tell. So Cameo is a service that allows celebrities, that allows oh. you to purchase attention from celebrities, shout outs from celebrities. Um, typically, it's done as a you would, it's your birthday, and you're a big fan of, let's say, Jason Alexander. And so I, as caring about you as a friend or something like that, say, I'm going to hire Jason Alexander to say and sing happy birthday to you and send you a personal message, a personal voicemail or personal uh, video mail with a happy birthday greeting. And uh, so th- the celebrities set their rates themselves. You engage them through the app called Cameo, they take their cut, and the person gets their greeting from the celebrity. So I wish
1: you could see my face. I am geeking out right now. It sounds great.
0: It's been around <laughs> for a while and there and there's A, B, C, D, E list celebrities all the way down to the from the famous <laughs> to the infamous are available on cameo i like the idea i personally think it's a it's a great thing i've seen seth rogan do them and i mean i would love to get you know like you know, him saying happy birthday but a lot of people uh they would rather than choose who your celebrity is that you want to get a greeting from they've been asking cameo to provide gift cards so you can just kind of choose your <laughs> own adventure and so cameo has rolled out uh gift cards And I just thought that was kind of, it gave me an opportunity to talk about Cameo, which for some reason, it does still kind of fly under the horizon. Most people don't know about it. I wanted to get the mention of it out here on the podcast because it's a fun, creative amazing technology.
1: I mean, I'm just imagining if I could uh, get my husband to get Bill Burr to say hello or happy birthday to my husband, I think he'd. Freak out because you know he does listen to certain comedians and things like that, and and he listens to Bill Burr. So you should
0: be, you should be, you should be browsing the Cameo right now, seeing if he's available and seeing what the rate is. I'd be interested to know
1: how much is he going to charge for that. You know, this reminds me of uh, I listen to wait, wait, don't tell me. Uh, one of the NPR like Saturday shows, I think, and they they do that. They'll actually have callers call in, and if they win one of the whatever contests they're in, um, one of the things they can win is one of the panelists or the people on the show will actually record their voicemail for them. So kind of a little that star factor, even if it's not like someone well known, you know. And some of the people on wait wait don't tell me aren't that well known except to people mm-hmm. who listen to it. But it's just you know kind of that cool little oh you know easy thing easy thing for them to fulfill.
0: It's, it's, Uh, it's one of the nice things that the internet, one of the things that we want online is access, you know, we want to have some access. That's one of the reasons that Patreon has become so popular, uh, Mm -hmm. in so many different aspects is people feel that first of all, they're supporting the people they want to create the content they want, but they also end up having access to those people often through that. And people want that little bit of backstage access. Yeah. So it's, it's another, it's another facet of that. So that's, uh, that's our Now for everybody that is, is interested, we will have links to all of these stories yes. in the show notes. So if you're walking along and you say, geez, I want to remember about Cameo, just remember to come to the gray wave and this, uh, this podcast will be at dototechcom forward slash 59 gray. And you can then get all of the different links that we are talking about here in our stories of the week. And the next story is.
1: All right. So this is one where uh, employees of companies may be actually kind of force pushing co- their employers to accept the fact that they're not going to go back to the office. And what I'm say- talking about is an NPR story about uh, how remote workers They may have lived near the office they used to go to. Now remote work happened because of the pandemic. And since then, they have moved. They have completely relocated far from the office. And so they're kind of just saying, hey, we're going to move. And if and when you decide we should come back, well, I won't be able to. So you kind of just need to accept that. So it's an interesting trend that we're seeing from this whole remote work thing.
0: So this is this is the ask. Uh, forgiveness, not permission model of, of being an employee. So here, so, so let's play the scenario out. You've been, you've been, you've been asked to work from home during the pandemic. They've closed down the offices in many places, in many cases, they've closed the office completely. And uh, in, in, in they are going to reopen now, maybe even in a slightly different location in your area. And they call goes out to all the employees. Hey, folks, we're going to be open again for maybe full time or maybe we're going to platoon you through. Time to come back home. And you go, about oh, that. I'm yeah, in Seattle.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You know what? I'm so glad you caught me. And I'm in a different time zone now. Yeah,
0: that's right. <laughs> and so the they are gambling on the fact that it's going to cost the organization more to hire and train somebody than the pissed off factor they are at the employee for doing this, probably breaking the terms of their contract, yeah, the terms of employment. But they're but they're gambling that they are worth more to them, and that 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 uh, that equation comes out in their favor.
1: Now, Steve, this kind of just the, a concept, the idea of doing this without even maybe skating it by your manager saying, well, yeah. I mean, I just, I can't really imagine it. I absolutely know what happens. I I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, it, I would feel like whoever would do this, um, either there's two scenarios, either you are so confident that you are invaluable at that job and they're, they're going to out to whatever you decide. Um, or, you don't care. You're yeah. like, yeah, if they fire me, I don't care. I will figure something out because I just don't want, I wanted to move. So it, it's an interesting trend and I am kind of interested to see how some of these companies handle it.
0: There's a bit of a betrayal of trust there. I could see it, I could see it sort of being, oh, okay, kind of happening if you told your immediate supervisor and they said, you know what we're going to do? And they collaborated with you saying, yeah, I think what we should do is we should just let that go. Mm-hmm. And we're going we're gonna to have a lot of stuff to deal with. So let's yeah. let's let's have a conversation about it again in uh, you know if and when we open the office. Right. But uh, yeah, definitely a, a bit of a betrayal of trust. I'm not sure I'd trust an employee after that. Uh, certainly, that that would limit your upward mobility, even though you might manage to retain employment for the pe- a period of time afterwards.
1: Exactly. We'll have to just see how this. Pans out.
0: It's not an endorsed strategy from those of no. us here at Grey Matters. <laughs> no,
1: just hey, have a have a conversation. You know, at least at least let people know what you're thinking and take it from there.
0: So the my final story is uh, let's jump on the privacy bandwagon a bit. Privacy, of course, one of the hottest topics that we mm-hmm. have in protecting our privacy. Now, I did a story a couple of months ago on the YouTube channel about the Brave browser, and one of the things the Brave browser does is it's an alternate to the Chrome browser. But it, it, it really uh, it steps up the amount of privacy and the amount of tracking that happens. We see Apple now uh, uh, blocking tracking of, uh, of people as they go from website to website for advertisers. Google has announced the same sort of thing that they are going to be adding. Now we see a new search engine that is being launched called Neva. And the interesting thing about Neva. Now there is a good privacy-based search engine already out there called Duck, Duck Go, which again we've also done a video on in the YouTube channel, which is an excellent uh, search engine. It does it pr- generates pretty much the same results as Google, but it doesn't track you and it doesn't monetize based on based on uh, selling your information to advertisers. There is an advertising model to it. But they act as a broker, not allowing the advertisers to gain access to your privacy. So uh, it's a little bit different from that perspective. Neva, the reason that it caught my attention is it's not even available yet. And you can sign up to be part of their, to, to be kind of join a wait list for it. But it's who created it. It comes from two of the superstar engineers at, one of them coming from Google and one of them coming from YouTube. And of course the, and both of these, uh, both of these founders are revered in their community. So it's kind of seeing where the superstars are going, like the NBA, when all of the superstars go to one team and then you wonder if that team is going to be super competitive, if they're going to have the chemistry, that's the sort of thing we're seeing with Neva, uh, the two largest search engines in the world lose two of their top engineers and their top visionaries and they join forces and go to NEVA. So that's the uh, that's my story, top story, second top story this week.
1: I like so I had a few reactive thoughts to that. One is I feel like this whole like waitlist kind of thing has legs. I mean, we're just talking all about like clubhouse and stuff. I can't get into it. Now I kind of want to get into it, you know, and Twitter spaces. I kind of want to host Twitter space. Get into <clears throat> NEVA. Yeah. I kind of want to be on a wait list and see how that works. And, and look, I use, I use a browser all day, all day, every day. And I know you do too. Uh, and I think we've had discussions on this very podcast where it's like, you know, what do you prioritize? Do you prioritize prioritize privacy or do you prioritize the ability to use the spy network of a browser, um, to, to monetize and advertise and stuff. And I frankly really, I, I agree with you that I like the fact that two people who probably know exactly how google and youtube work and they said hey let's i know how that works let's go in a different direction and kind of cater to both of those concerns i still want to be able to feasibly productively use a a browser but i also don't really want people spying on me all the time so i like the notion i'm going to sign up for this i'm going to get on that wait list
0: and it's it's not even so much where you know I, I think people have different thresholds as well. What you're being tracked on when you're searching the web is very different than the fact that Google, for example, has to crawl your email in order to provide you search within email. Now, Mm -hmm. Google says they compartmentalize that, but that's where trust comes in. So Mm -hmm. adding private, see, I would love to add more privacy to my personal communications, I'm not as concerned with privacy about what what I do when I'm searching for online because I'm Mm -hmm. interested in that, and I would rather have relevant advertising to my personal interests than something that is, you know, that's kind of crowdsourced. So I guess we all have different thresholds. That's why there's different. That's why there's Google, and that's why there will be Neva coming down the pipe very soon. It'll
1: be it'll be interesting, especially if they hope to kind of. You know, compete with Google Chrome, which is a huge browser. But uh, I, I'm curious. I mean, shoot, if they helped make Chrome work the way it does, then they probably can make this one work too.
0: Do you need a little more Steve time? I get it. And I have something for you. Do you know that we host a free live training almost every week? This is a fact. Most weeks, we host a free tutorial webinar covering productivity, content creation, and online marketing. It is called Webinar Wednesday, and you can find out about this week's webinar by visiting dototech.com slash Webinar Wednesday, or check out the links in the show notes. You know, Webinar Wednesday has become an online institution. I've hosted over 160 of them, and we are still going strong. I know, it almost sounds too good to be true free training every week, and a chance to learn more about productivity, content creation, or online marketing, and more, Steve? Oh, pinch me, I'm in a little bit of heaven. The links are in the description, or visit Dottotech.com slash webinar Wednesday. We're gonna transition now and talk about becoming a digital nomad. I know, it's something that we can't even really think about doing, until this pandemic comes under control, but it is something that I want to think about. Now we've got two interviews with you, two different women who handled or who approached the idea of being a digital nomad in very different ways. And we're gonna kick things off by talking to Amanda Robinson. Now, Amanda's known as the Digital Gal. She's been a friend of mine for many years. She's a Facebook ads expert. She speaks at the same conferences I do. Now, several years ago, Amanda upped her life from Ontario and decided to hit the road traveling primarily through the U.S., uh, going from conference to conference, back in the days when we could go to conferences, and she became a digital nomad for about a year. Now, it's an interesting story. She did it on the cheap. I don't know any other way to really explain it. She just basically put everything in her car and hit the road. Uh, it was a an adventure. I'm not sure it's the way that most of us would choose to be a digital nomad, but there are some really interesting lessons that we can learn from Ms. Amanda Robinson. How long were you on the road for?
2: I don't actually know. I went in spurts, so it wasn't launching and being on the road from start to finish across the course of a year. But I would say I was probably probably with no fixed address for about a year and a half.
0: So you went full nomad. You didn't even go half nomad. You went and you <laughs> lived out of your car for a year rather than uh, like a lot of nomads will pick another location and go there and stay there for six months or a year that's being a digital nomad, but you were a nomadic nomad.
2: I think this is what we call a full send. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, the way I transitioned into it is that I am very fortunate with, with my job and with all of my different contacts through the social media industry that I have friends in almost every single state. So my launching point was I decided, okay, I'm going, going to map out on a calendar uh, what area I'm going to be driving through around what time period and just put it out there to my network and say, Hey, is that, is there anyone uh, who lives in this area that wants to host me for a, a night or two? And so through that, I was able to kind of build out a, build out a calendar of places to stay, um, couches I could crash on, uh, people that I could visit and, and I based that all around the different conferences and events that I wanted to attend as far as digital marketing and social media. So I had some events that I was speaking at, some events I wanted to attend, and I just mapped those out on a giant calendar and then backtracked from there where I needed to be traveling through each region.
0: So a little bit of backstory for our listeners who don't know you. you are, you. Uh, are <clears throat> Your background originally was doing Facebook ads, so you were in the social media marketing space. You ran with the social media Cool Kids So you, (laughs) so you would go to things like social media marketing world, but you had a global network and you were very, and and your work allowed you to work anywhere. You had a notebook, you had a job.
2: Exactly. So as long as I could have an internet connection, as long as I could connect to a minimum of three megabytes of upload speed Mm -hmm. so that I could do live streaming and video calling, then I was good to go. Mm -hmm. So I, I based it, um, I didn't need much. I really did not need much. It was packing all my possessions into my car with my laptop and my dog and all of my live streaming equipment and some clothes and a tent and all of my camping gear. That was that was kind of my my base. And then I just started skipping around from place to place. Now it evolved from there. It it wasn't just going from couch to couch and having a whole beautiful plan of places to stay and people to see. At some point that train ran out. I had, uh, I don't want to say overstayed my welcome, but I had stayed with all the people that I was comfortable staying with. (laughs) (laughs) That came out completely wrong. Anyway, um, it did, it did evolve to the point where I had my first set of overnights sleeping in a Walmart parking lot. I know this does not sound glamorous, but for anybody who is a digital nomad, it's kind of an unwritten rule. Most of us know that uh, Walmart parking lots, most of them, not all of them, are a safe space that you're allowed to park and stay overnight. Doing that journey, usually you find a a corner of the parking lot where you see a bunch of other campers or a bunch of other overnight nomads, and you just kind of pull up into a spot and cover up all the shades of your window, your windshield, your, your side windows and, um, and snuggle in for the night. And the interesting thing that I found with sleeping in the car is that number one, it's incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. Number two, the amount of condensation that builds up on the windows. If you have your windows closed, it's not.
0: We are disgustingly moist beings.
2: We are. And number three, you're not going to get a good night's sleep. You're not going to sleep in. So you end up sort of rising and falling with the with daylight. So as soon as it starts to get dark out at night, you start to get tired and weary. And then it's easier to go to bed at eight o'clock at night um, when you've been nomading and road tripping because you're up at the crack of dawn as soon as the sun, sun comes up.
0: Well, this doesn't sound glamorous in any way, shape, nor form. However, let's, let's kind of boil back to some of the principles because we're talking to the, because you're on gray matters, everybody here is over the age of 50, so the first thing that we're all wondering, well, the first thing everybody's wondering is where did you go to the bathroom? But, uh, we're not going to go into that instead. What we're wondering is did it cost more or less than when you were living at home?
2: I would say it, it costs less because I wasn't doing it with all the fancy bells and whistles and toys and things that I could have had for making this Nomad Adventure easier. I was doing it literally in a, in a Chevy Trax um, yeah. vehicle. You, have, so a, I didn't you have,
0: have a very small car to I be living do, out of. It's
2: deceivingly small. Um, I didn't do this in a camper van. I didn't do this in, you know, hashtag van life with all of the the cute little knickknacks and decorations and perfect Instagrammable photos. Do you it wish you had? Was, yeah. If I had the opportunity, even now, um, I think I would, I would still want to live that lifestyle, but I'd want to do it with, with a more proper setup and more comfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You really I went, was, you really went gorilla on it.
2: I went completely off the wall. Now, okay, so in that transition point, though, from going to sleeping in Walmart parking lots, I also then developed an absolute huge appetite for finding every single beautiful campsite and uh, national park that I could go to. So I had my tent, and I had a full digital um, travel pack, I guess you can say, a a giant battery source, so I could run my my Wi-Fi router, my uh, cellular data network router, and my laptop off of a full charge with this battery from a tent sitting in the middle of the woods in a beautiful, beautiful setting. Um, so, so I. So I'm let's talk about that, that
0: technical setup for a second. So you did you had a you had a a battery? How did you charge the battery? Was it charging from your car as you drove?
2: Yes. So I would drive on average about eight hours a day. And it takes about eight hours for the battery pack to charge. It's essentially like a glorified car battery. Okay. And up would you
0: get a full evening's worth of charge out of that?
2: Yes, I would. I would get, and, it, and I would use, so the other part that's surprising is that if you don't think your laptop uses a lot of juice, it sure does. It would drain and fill probably three different cycles through, through my use in the night.
0: Mm-hmm. That's was, your and, existing laptop. The people yeah. that are lucky now that get this new M, don't you just, the M chip, the Apple M chip, you were just jealous of them because they, it gets way, way better. I
2: already life. am jealous. Oh, I, it's on, it's on the bucket list for oh, sure. <laughs> okay.
0: We'll be at it. So, so your, so your basic setup though was you had a router. Now, how, what, what did you find that you found, had good quality internet wherever you went and did you modify your travel schedule to find good hotspots?
2: Yes. So I use an app called iOverlander and this, this app has a whole bunch of different marked locations for official or unofficial campsites or places that you can park your car and stay overnight. It has uh, a, ma- a list on the map a whole bunch of different resources. Um, but what I found is when you go to look for different unofficial campsites for safe places to sleep the night, um, a lot of people would comment on if there was Wi-Fi or good cellular, cellular service or if they ran into any issues there. So I'd look for flags like that. It's kind of the it.
0: modern hobo markings that they used to put on the you know, you know with places you can get a hot lunch, places that were safe to sleep that would be on the curb.
2: And then I also used a combination of looking online, looking at different um, cellular maps because I was running on the cellular networks. And depending on what part of the country, which side of the country you're on. So I was doing most, the majority of my digital nomading was throughout the United States. And depending on if you were with um, AT&T or what's the other big one? Verizon. Yeah, so depending on who you were with, service was a lot different. Mm-hmm. So I had an AT and T cell phone, so I could find places that that said they had great service, but I didn't have great service on my cell phone. I was also traveling with a Bell router, so a Bell um, a, a data hub that was hooked up to the Bell network for um, for my cellular data. And let me tell you the cost on that. So when you're saying, is it cheaper? Was it cheaper doing the digital nomad life versus living in a place? internet costs were off the charts. Unbelievable.
0: I'm wondering if that's because you used a Canadian carrier. That might've been a mistake.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Because Canadian data charges are not competitive to what they are in the States. So let's talk a little about the actual process of working when you're on the road like that. The fact that you didn't choose to have a camper van or an RV that you were working out of. Did, that, did you find that it was challenging to sit down and get productive in the times that you did work when you were addressing? Because you were still running Facebook ad campaigns for mm-hmm. clients and that sort of stuff.
2: I found it, it taught me some very fundamental business lessons that I appreciate so much because of that experience. It taught me how to make sure that I make the absolute best use of my time. I would work a lot out of Starbucks so i'd stop take breaks i wouldn't drive for 8 solid hours i would drive for you know a pocket of 3 or 4 hours and then i'd take a good four hour workday, five hour workday at a Starbucks or two. So I'd usually find a town where I could spend a couple hours at one Starbucks and then kind of have a, have a little bit of a, a lunch break, have another coffee and change locations to another Starbucks and finish my workday there. Mm-hmm. But I would bundle my video calls and then I would bundle my live video trainings. And yes, I did do some live video trainings on the road. I did trainings on the road. The That's boot crazy. camp must go on. Right.
0: Okay. Uh, I, I love working in Starbucks. I find I'm really productive. When I'm sitting in Starbucks. I don't know why.
2: I really, I did not enjoy it because Mm. the stress of trying to find one of the three seats that has a plug next to it was Mm. extremely difficult. So I'd have to, in some occasions, if I, if I entered into a town and their Starbucks was completely full, I try and find another location. And then of that, another location, I would find, um, all the plugs would be occupied. So then I would have to sit there at a non-plugged workstation and just shark like keep my eyes like a hawk on these seats until this person was ready to move and then like football style go and like almost tackle my stuff over there as soon as that person went to leave so that was it's uncomfortable that part was not a lot of fun and then i did have occasions where i would strike out where i would have multiple starbucks in a row that had absolutely no capacity for for in in dining room seating So instead, I would park next to a Starbucks and piggyback on their Wi-Fi to do my video calls from in the car.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound too convenient. Although the sound would, the audio quality would probably be pretty good then.
2: It was a bit of an uncomfortable setup, and I Mm -hmm. think what people don't realize when I say I was traveling in a Chevy Trax um, with my entire life packed into the car, there was there was no room. There's no. There was no square inch of available space. This thing was packed like a master. Tetris, uh, like champion. So there's no spare inch of space. So to sit there with my laptop in the front seat at a weird angle with the dog in the back and no, no room to move the seat forward or back or have any flexibility. That was a little bit of a challenge.
0: Now that you've done it and you've been through it, if you were, first of all, would you ever do it again?
2: A hundred percent. Yes.
0: Yes. Okay. But tell me now, this is now for the nomads, nomad, for the wandering minstrel show, that would be the wandering digital minstrel show. What would the ideal setup be?
2: The ideal setup would be one of those, one of those small vans, like a van life type van with your own uh, washroom on board and your own water source and solar powers, solar powered. That would be the ideal setup. And something that is Um, Something that looks like a normal vehicle from the street. So a a regular looking van. uh, Because you often run into a lot of these places in in towns where they have it posted no overnight parking. They're looking for camper vans. They're looking for people who are living out of their vehicles. And you want to be able to just park unassuming in any location. And especially if you go into big cities, you really want to be able to fit into any type of parking spot easily because it's what's the point in digital nomading and traveling and getting to see all these wonderful places of the world if you can't even park anywhere inside the areas you want to go to.
0: Now, did you have any, uh, you, you you said that you really, that productivity was an issue that you had to pay attention to being really productive in the, in the short periods of time that you could work. Would that be different if you had a camper van like that?
2: It would be completely different because then I'd be able to have my my power sources, consistent Wi-Fi, everything that I would need in one place so I could build a better schedule and habit around it. That's predictable. The challenge with trying to work out of different Starbucks locations, like I said, where you, you can't get a power source because all of these seats are occupied – um, that added a whole layer of complexity to it. So I think it would be easier to build uh, a routine. And if you have your own water source and you have your own power source, you can do things like make yourself a cup of coffee, have yourself a lunch. When you're traveling on the road, the way that I was, I didn't have those additional resources. So I couldn't have, I didn't have a cooler, for example, I couldn't keep anything cool. So having cream for my coffee or eggs to, to make, um, You know, have breakfast with. I didn't have have the luxury of that.
0: Yeah, you. In some ways, you're a really bad guest for this particular segment because you did things. So (laughs) you weren't so much a nomad as homeless. (laughs) (laughs) That was cruel. That was cruel, and I I feel guilty about it. But in Mm -hmm. in some ways, you were.
3: I
2: think. I think that. The the part that's missing here is it sounds more like I was doing the homeless living out of the car thing, but I think what's missing is how many different campsites, how I had the camping element going with a, a beautiful setup with my tent and um, hammocks and just being able to be outdoors and being able to take my digital work into places that would make other people shake their heads at, at not even thinking you could possibly be connected, run your video calls and work from these beautiful places.
0: Big news. We have merch. I know. Really, Steve? You have merch? When did you become one of the cool kids? Well, I will tell you exactly when I became a cool kid. I became one when we got merch. What is merch? Merch is merchandise. We now have our very own Gray Matters t-shirts. And the best of those t-shirts is our trademark t-shirt, our best-selling t-shirt that has on the front, experience is not something you can Google. Yes. It tells all those pesky Z's and Y's and millennials that our experience is incredibly valuable and it is something one has to work for and earn, indeed experience is not something one can simply google read the shirt better yet get the shirt links are in the show notes or visit us at dototech.com i know i know is that really what being a digital nomad is all about it is a method of being a digital nomad. And it worked for Amanda, and the bottom line is, she would do it all over again with a few modifications. Now, the other person that I interviewed for this particular feature is Lisa Jenkins. Now, Lisa is the editorial manager for Social Media Examiner, and she has friends all over the world, and being an editorial manager, she has a very mobile job, which she decided to take advantage of. You actually packed up from the United States and went to Europe with your husband, right?
3: Yeah, for a year.
0: For a full year. Now, was, were you, did you plan on it only being a year when you started?
3: No, we thought we were going to be gone for a couple of years, but there was some family stuff that I needed to come back for.
0: Okay, so you. So how long before you decided to go? Till you left? What was the? What was the like the the timeline?
3: Um, three months.
0: You did this all in three months? Yeah. See, you don't strike me as the sort of person that just changes and uproots her entire life in three oh. months.
3: Oh, I am 100% that person, Steve.
0: Oh, well, obviously, obviously. <laughs>
3: Heck yes.
0: Totally unreliable.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> Can't be trusted with anything. So
0: so what got the bug? Was it opportunity? Was it boredom? Was it uh bucket list? What, what caused you to want to go to Europe?
3: You know, I have a huge love of history and cultures and language and art and food. Ever since I was little, I have wanted to travel. I grew up with a father who um, spent a lot of time traveling all over the world. And so I grew up with food and stories of Greece and Morocco and Russia and all these different places. And um, I just... I've always wanted to go myself, right. You know, you read about all these things, but there's a difference between reading about Hadrian's wall and walking up and putting your hands on it. That's, that's a very different yeah. thing. And so I just, my husband came home from work one day and I said, so um, how would you feel about moving to Europe for a couple of years and living out of a backpack? <laughs> and <laughs> because he's the right guy for me, he was like, yeah. Okay,
0: what does your husband do for a living?
3: He's a personal trainer,
0: oh okay. so he was he would have to shut down his business for that period of time.
3: Yes, he did not work.
0: Oh, so there was there was this was a pretty major commitment then as far as as far as I mean, my immediate thought of uh baby boomers or Gen Xers doing the digital nomad thing is. We all have jobs that we can do on the road. That's the beauty of the interwebs. Yeah. But personal training doesn't quite give you that functionality. So that adds, that adds a, a, a different, a different mix. Now you didn't go to one single place and settle down, but you wanted to, you wanted to migrate, you wanted to travel, right?
3: Correct. Yeah. We ended up visiting nine countries.
0: Wow. In Europe. So you, did you literally live out of a backpack? Yes. Now you, you, but you kept working through this whole period, didn't you?
3: Through the entire time. Yep.
0: That's what I want to kind of explore. I mean, I'm mean, i sure okay. lots of people are interested in the travel aspect and indeed I am too. But the idea of, but for me, the imagination sparks with the ability to continue to do what I do when I'm on the road. So how right. did, so what, so what did you identify as the big challenges? Uh,
3: the first thing that I needed to be very sure of is that uh, I was going to have continuity with work. Mm-hmm. That I wasn't going to be a bottleneck or something that broke the processes that kept us publishing.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, so I did a little bit of research. Uh, there's a wonderful blog called Landlopers and another man, another one called this, The Man in Seats 68, I think. And they are both built around traveling and traveling all over the world. And so I got tips like, hey, you need to really be sure you have stable internet. And so I got a device called a Skybrown, Mm -hmm. which I lovingly call my heart of gold, Mm -hmm. infinity drive. And it was really, really helpful because even when you are in cities where there is Wi-Fi, oftentimes you don't have access to that Wi-Fi. And so I would pay a monthly fee with Skyrim and I could continue to connect to Wi-Fi and work wherever I was.
0: So now because your job is text is is managing the blogs for, mm-hmm. for, for social media examiner, did you have kind of lower bandwidth needs than some others? Did you still have to jump in on the video conferences with the team and that sort of stuff? Did you have to have access for that? Or were you just really dealing with the content of the blogs, which would require, you know, even if you had a slower bandwidth connection, you'd still be okay?
3: Uh, no, most of the time I needed to be fully up and running on wow. Wi-Fi. So, you know, all our Skype calls still happened. Um, all our video stuff, everything.
0: Okay. I'm dying to know how much did, how much was the service, this service that gave you this miraculous internet all through Europe?
3: Um, I think at the time I was paying, I think it was $129 a month. Really? Uh, yeah, it was it was incredibly inexpensive. I thought for the freedom to be able to work literally from anywhere. And it's just and, a device
0: that plugged into your laptop. And Bob's your uncle.
3: Uh, yeah, it's it's about I don't know. It's like the size of a small wheel of brie, I guess. You know, <laughs> let's like,
0: make it. Let's make it international travel and food yeah, related. Yeah, a yeah. small wheel of brie.
3: Yeah, you know. So like. Yes. Yeah. Like four or five inches. Yeah. In diameter. Uh, it was really lightweight and uh, it could connect to my laptop or to my phone. So even if I needed to take a call, you know, I took a call with um, Mike one time while I was on a train on the way to Porto. And wow. I just connected my phone through the SkyRoam and did my Skype call that way.
0: You instantly became Social Media Examiner's coolest employee, which actually isn't <laughs> all that difficult when you consider the rest of them. But okay. <laughs>
3: I don't know, man. That's some pretty stiff competition.
0: There you go. There you go. Okay. So now, so you planned you, the main thing was having internet access Mm -hmm. um, that you were worried about. What about how you were going to plan your time and your travel? Did you plan your travel around work or did you plan work around travel?
3: It really, it wasn't very different for me other than the shift in a time change. So I had a regular working day and I I guess we sort of planned travel around work. Uh, We chose to travel from one destination to the next, say like overnight or early in the mornings Mm -hmm. uh, because late afternoon was early morning over here in States. But I don't remember ever having to make a distinct decision. Like, Oh, I have to be this place to take this call. um, So I have to be stationary somewhere that never happened for me.
0: So how was your productivity when you were like, tell me, tell me what a typical workday, would you just sit in the hotel? Would you go somewhere to find a coffee shop? How did you find a space to work?
3: Got it. Okay. So we, we made a very intentional decision to stay in small local towns rather than large cities. So we were often in small villages and we would rent an Airbnb for, you know, three weeks or four weeks or five weeks. And so we had a house. And um, I did my best to make sure that the houses came with Wi-Fi just so that I mm-hmm. had that that freedom. And then I mean, the, typically work just happened yeah. through there. You know, we would we would go to the shops in the day and get whatever we needed for groceries. And then we'd come home and I would work from, you know, like two o'clock in the afternoon until six or seven at night and then get up and do it all over again. What
0: did your husband do during that time? Go for a run? <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, actually. So um, he had just come off uh, three years of training for the CrossFit Games. And um, about a month and a half before we were supposed to leave, he ruptured his Achilles tendon. (laughs) Oh, no. He was just out of a boot and cast, so he spent uh-huh. a lot of time walking just to rehab. So he would just, yeah. you know, go down and walk like on the key or take hikes. And-
0: that sounds to me like a really good way. It sounds less chaotic. The the fact that you would settle in a place. How yeah. long did it take you in each each location that you got to? Did you get better at settling quicker in each location, or was it always kind of a similar process?
3: I was very careful when we chose. Where we were going to stay, I I had I made sure that we either had very quick access to a bus line or a train station, like mm-hmm. right there. And um, the first thing we would do is we would get off the train, get into the the Airbnb house, and then we would drop our bags and everything, and we would find um, the grocery shop and the baker and the chemist because those are the three things we knew we need to have all the time. Mm -hmm. And we would do a little bit of grocery shopping and then go home. And then it was just like every other day. Look at you all
0: becoming European and calling it a chemist instead of a drugstore.
3: Oh, okay. So here's the thing I grew up reading a lot of uh, English and UK writers. And Mm. so I have used terms like chemist and jumper instead of sweater and plaster instead of band aid my whole life. I've just been. You're gonna this is gonna shock you, Steve. I've been a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it was just um it was more the process of the traveling each day. You know, if if we were moving from one place to the next, that day was a little out of ordinary and out of sorts. But once we actually got to the house, I made sure that I could connect to the Wi-Fi. We dropped our bags and went on. And then we just got up and it was just like every other day.
0: So holding down a full-time job while you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that it ended up being a compromise on the experience you got on the trip? Or did you really feel that it was the kind of the best of both worlds?
3: It was absolutely the best of both worlds without question. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I could see
0: how you're more that even though with the stress of work, you're more relaxed knowing that everything is in order as far as your job, it, it, but, but you're enjoying this incredible new experience. I, I love this concept.
3: Yeah, it was just like living somewhere else. It 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 didn't feel so much like we were traveling really, because we would stay places long enough for, you know, like the baker would get to know us and they would know what size loaf we wanted and people in the pubs would get to know us and they they knew So you,
0: you made friends to a certain extent.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. That's that's why we went to small villages because it Have was Have you
0: stayed in contact with any?
3: Um yeah, actually several of them. And then I got to see a lot of people that I'm friends with through social media examiner, which was wonderful.
0: As you traveled, there was somebody that was in a close town or something like that. You could get to visit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be good. And there's, and people, people from all over the world come to the conference. So you, you probably had a a lot to choose from. There's probably a few you avoided too.
3: No, you weren't there, Steve.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, right to the heart, right to the heart. There's, there's
3: nobody that I avoided. Um, I did my best actually to meet up with everybody. There, there were a few people that I couldn't quite make it happen.
0: So you ended up at spending a full year in nine different countries. Mm-hmm. If, if, if family issues hadn't cropped up, would you have completed the journey?
3: If family issues hadn't cropped up, we would probably still be doing it.
0: So you would have actually extended the journey. You would, you would not have come back. Correct. Wow. It was that good. Oh yeah. So are you going to do it again? Yes. As soon as 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 the world gets normal?
3: You know, it's it's so strange. You feel like when you're traveling that the world is such a big place, and it is a big place, but when you start to travel, you realize how small it is as well. You know, you can get on a plane and land in London, and then it's just like a two-hour ferry ride to France or Spain or...
0: You know, those of us who grew up in North America uh, have no idea of how close things are like, you know, like where I am in Canada, you know, the the distance to the next town is there could be three or four countries between us and Calgary, for example.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah, exactly. Trains make it so easy. Trains and buses, the train and bus system over there is just incredibly efficient.
0: Any ninja tips about dealing with the, dealing with the finances, your banks and currencies and stuff, or you just use the same credit card the whole time type thing.
3: Um, so a lot of places you need to use cash, right? Like there are places where they don't deal in credit cards. They they, they want cash. Um, I had one credit card that we used and you have to make sure that uh, you have them charge it in local currency or U.S. currency based on the preference of your card, because there are some cards if you have a, a credit card from the States and they have to convert Say euros to the American dollar. The credit card company charges you a fee for that.
0: Yeah, and that it can be a really egregious fee too.
3: Yeah, yeah. So you have to figure out which cards will lo- will allow you to do what, and just be careful about how you pay. Um, so out type- of curiosity,
0: did you did you know of did you know about TransferWise at the time? Do you know about TransferWise now? No. Oh, TransferWise is something that you're going to want to check out before you go on the road next time. Okay. TransferWise is a domestic bank account that you can get in the U.S. That's designed to move money around the world but part of TransferWise so you can have everybody pay you into TransferWise direct deposit into TransferWise and then you can also pay. I use it to pay all my subcontractors because I'm in Canada it's difficult for me to move the money out. But it allows me to Jeez. do direct transfers and so for example Liz I do the transfer it's in her bank it's in her TransferWise account because it's treated like a bank account there. It's oh, it nice. is a bank account. It's in her bank account within like seconds. And they have a debit card that 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 you can use all through Europe. As a part I, of it.
3: Yeah, I was actually really lucky. I think was simple and okay. I was able to use but that But aren't card. they shutting
0: down their service?
3: Yes, and I'm so yes. sad about it.
0: <laughs> so, so check out TransferWise.
3: I will. Yeah, that's a great tip.
0: Yeah, use my affiliate link. I'll send it to you. Does becoming a digital nomad appeal to you?
1: Yes. Not (laughs) right now, though. Well, well, you've got
0: kids kids at a certain age, of a certain age. My kids are of a certain older age. Mm -hmm. It appeals to me big time.
1: See, I was wondering that. I was going to ask you, Steve, how does that make you feel to be, you know, pack up a car, say, and just say, hey, I'm just going to plan this based on people I want to see and meet. No, Uh,
0: I'm not doing that one. I mean, I, I personally think that Amanda's just crazy. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the way that she did things, it was. We it love know, you, Amanda. She's young. She's young, and she has energy, and uh, that was just that's not for us. I had Shannon and I have actually had conversations about this. Her daughter is in her final year of high school. My kids are all all, all, all grown, and we've talked about the fact that I can do what I do from anywhere. Now Shannon's a teacher, so she can't do what she does mm-hmm. from anywhere, but she would still. We. She's indicated an interest so uh, but i was thinking that we would go and we would live for 6 months in a city like barcelona or 6 months in amsterdam and we would literally settle in for a extended stay in one location and then kind of you know wagon you know the spokes of a wagon wheel just visit the area around there day trips and you know maybe weekends from that and do it that way and get very comfortable in one region i hadn't thought of the way that Lisa did it by literally being a nomad, going from place to place to place to place.
1: I did like the fact that she said she they visited intentionally, smaller burgs and yeah. you know, and cities and towns like that. It, it, I would imagine it's just way less bustle, but you could really develop some cool relationships. It sounds like she did.
0: Yeah. And it was interesting that the, the, the technological hurdles that you have to overcome are pretty much non-existent. I think Amanda made a strategic mistake. She ended up spending a lot on her internet, but that was because right. she bought her wireless hub in Canada and then she had roaming all the way through the States. Mm. Uh, whereas uh, I would, I've already, you know, I, I I would assume that I would have, if it was me, I would wait till I got there and then I would purchase a contract. The same with Europe. I would probably bring your phone, but you would buy a sim from a, from a, from a local company over there and, and use in, in take advantage of local rates, which are all Canada has terrible, terrible mobility rates. And it gets worse when we start getting into international travel with a, with our rates. So it, the, the barriers for entry, as far as technology goes, are pretty much non-existent. You have ubiquitous internet everywhere. You've got incredibly fast notebooks that are light. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking about traveling with just you know uh, what you can carry on your back for months at a time, it gives me, it makes me kind of concerned about you know what coats. I'm I'm having palpitations thinking, what, how many <laughs> coats could I bring? Like, can you, can you, the shoes, can you bring? It's it's not like I'm a Mel Marcos, but I, <laughs> I I probably want more than one pair of shoes. <laughs> and, and how much is going to fit in that damn pack, pack?
1: So, Yeah, my husband and I, we it wasn't technically a backpacking trip. Like we didn't stay in hostels where you have to take the backpack with you everywhere you go when you leave the hostel, but we did stay in some hotels, but we packed, um, both of our, we, he, we both had Osprey backpacks. So they were large. They probably both weighed about 25, 30 pounds once we've got them all uh, stuffed in there, but yeah, pair of walking shoes. And I had a little black pair of flats in case we went somewhere nice, but that was, I, I was pretty much rotating through clothes and living out of a backpack. But one thing I thought was really interesting that both of them seemed to carry across with their experiences by out there, but they had to really be intentional about their productivity. Like they, they used that Wi-Fi access, like it was baby formula, you know, it's gold. It's like, Oh my gosh, it's, it's worth so much. And the time I have on there is so brief. Let me make sure I make the most of it. And I, I actually thought about my day where I and i mentioned it on this podcast already i'm online all the time all day very easy for my you know bright shiny object syndrome to say oh look over here and yeah. take my eyes off what i'm supposed to be doing they couldn't afford to do that
0: no yeah because they have because they have something better to do with the pandemic we really don't have anything better to do right now <laughs> cuz it's all groundhog day if you're not doing the bright shiny object you're doing something that feels like it with you, with just regular work but here's the thing the and the reason that i'm glad that we did this story this week is I think we need to we need uh, to to start thinking about things other than, uh, we need to start daydreaming again. We need to start yeah. thinking about uh, things that we want to do and not mourning things that we can't do. And so, you know, when will we be able to do this? I don't know, but I, I believe it'll be within, you know, a couple of years we'll be able to start doing this again. Mm-hmm. And if we've learned one thing from this pandemic, we've learned how much we value that ability to see the world and what a gift it is and uh, yeah. it's something that we definitely want to get back to. So so thanks thanks to Amanda and and to Lisa for that. And to you uh, Ms. Rachel Moore, thank you very much for your support today and for re-recording this in with such <laughs> a with a smile on your face and not making me feel like a total doofus for messing up our original broadcast.
1: It's happened to all of us. It's yes. going to happen to me. So, hey, just consider this a pay it forward kind just, of thing for just, when it does happen to me.
0: Just make sure it doesn't happen to you on our product.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like, no, do yes, it somewhere yeah, else.
0: <laughs> do, do, do it with other people. We've, we've done our part. All right, folks, <laughs> that is it for this week. If you want show notes and links to everything that we talked about, including links to the travel sites that Lisa was talking about, which are really quite compelling, uh, drop by our website, dottotech.com, and you can find this podcast at dottotech.com slash fifty-nine gray. Oh, sorry, gray59. 59. 59, gray. 59 gray. I, I was right. Dottotech.com <laughs> slash okay. gotta keep gotta keep the nomenclature correct. Rachel, thanks so much for your time. We will see you folks next time. Till then, have fun storming a castle.
1: think it'll work, it would take